This morning, we're continuing our series on wholehearted living, and I want to title this morning's message, Innermost. Innermost. And uh, as we settle in, as we dial in, let's bring our hearts to the Lord, and let's quiet ourselves, and let's present ourselves to God, and allow Him to have the first and the last word over our souls, over our situation, over this gathering this morning. Let's make some space for the Lord our God together. Lord, this morning we settle into the house of our Father. Lord, this morning we want to settle into the place of belovedness. Not the distant country where we can so often flee, but the Father's house where there is newness and life and belovedness and belonging apart from anything we can produce. So we just settle into that this morning, that regardless of what this past week has looked like, regardless of what this weekend has looked like, maybe even regardless of what the past hour or five minutes have looked like in our souls, we come back home, Father. We remember you, and we give you the first word this morning, and we pray that every part of our lives that's crooked, that's in darkness, that maybe has some fog in it, we pray that you would align it that you would shine light on it, that you would clear up and give us clarity and eyes to see you at work in our lives and intimately involved in our stories. We give this morning to you. We pray that as we gather, as we break bread together, as we feast on your word and drink of your love, we ask, Holy Spirit, that you would glorify Jesus and would you teach us and instruct us according to your scriptures. Thank you for this body. Thank you for this place. And we invite you here. Would you teach us, encourage us, instruct us in the way that you desire? And we pray all these things in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And everybody said, amen. Amen. Well, descriptors are important. Uh, We're going to go through an exercise real quick to demonstrate this. I'm going to say a word or a name, and you guys, I need you to yell out your description of that thing, okay? And we're going to warm up here, and it's going to be great. Descriptors are important. Let me demonstrate this. Um, LeBron James. Overhyped. Did I hear the goat? Anybody? Goat? No? No? Um, let's, uh, Let's do this. Let's do Nickelback. Awesome. I heard a whoop. I heard something that I can't say that has four letters. No, I'm just kidding. Um, let's, let's say this. Colorado, everybody. Colorado Springs. The freaking mountains. Come on. Uh, descriptors are important, right? Descriptors uh, are, are very vital in the way that we uh, articulate the substance of something. We could describe the Republican Party as blank. We could, and I'm not going to right now, nor am I going to give you the opportunity. We could describe the Democratic Party as blank. We could describe the Tea Party as blank. We could describe a myriad of different things uh, with various descriptors. If I go to my wife, 
one morning and say, babe, you are so blank. The way I finish that sentence is going to inform the rest of my day. Descriptors are important. Well, in scripture, we find a myriad of different descriptions about Yahweh. We find the people of God giving voice and giving words in a myriad of different ways, shapes, and forms to this God who has revealed himself to his people. Uh, we see God as a just God, judging unrighteousness. We see a God as a rewarder, the God who rewards righteousness and re- rewards goodness. We see the God of love. We see the God of grace. We see the God of mercy. We see God in all of these different shapes and forms and substances as articulated by his people. But there's one uh, descriptor in particular that the Bible really consistently and continually latches onto and describes Yahweh as, and that is the God who has made himself close to us, the imminent God. The God who, though uh, omnipotent, the God who, though omniscient, has actually come near to his people, drawn near to his people, made a covenant people for himself, given the law, given the testimony of the prophets, uh, the culmination of Jesus Christ, this God has made himself known and close and available to the people of God and to all creation, in fact. And we see this on full display In Psalm 139, when David is engaging in this moment of reflection with the Lord, and verses 1 through 10, he says this, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my paths and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Omniscience, grandness. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all together. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It's high. I can't attain it. God is the omnipotent, infinite God. And yet he shifts and David says, where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. God is close. We cannot escape his presence. He is imminent. He is near to us. You know, in the Old Testament, Uh, consistently, the people of God give witness and testimony to the fact that Yahweh, the omnipotent creator of the universe, has made himself available to them. That time after time in scripture, we see recitations and uh, ideation uh, in, in, in ways such as this, where they're giving thought and attention to the nearness of God, that though God is completely other, wholly separate, He is at the same time uh, acquainted with us and makes himself known and available to us. And obviously we as the new covenantal people, the church, are the culmination and the fulfillment of this principle and this idea, this core theological concept. Because we 
uh, bear witness to the reality that Jesus Christ was the incarnate God. That God made himself available in the culminating act of him taking on the shape and substance and form of his very creation so that he may save his creation. That God took on flesh and took on bone and in that he made himself near and available to his people. And then Jesus in his very life upped the ante even more where he made a couple comments and gave a couple teachings that though he was going to go away, there would be still a close and available and imminent presence of God. And we find this in John 16, 5 to 7 and 12 to 15, when Jesus is telling his disciples this, but now I am going to him who sent me and none of you asks me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. You're grieved, my 12 disciples, because I'm leaving. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. This paraclete, this comforter, this guidance. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. I'm going away. I am the incarnate son. I, as Hebrew says, am, am, am the exact imprint of the nature of God, Jesus is saying. And yet I'm going to go away. My work here is finished. I've been crucified. I've resurrected. And now I'm ascending to the right hand of the Father. And yet I will not leave you as orphans. I will draw near to you and will come to you in actually a much more profound and intimate way by sending the Holy Spirit. And so we see in the Old and the New Testament together, this narrative of scripture, this, this narrative of God's redemptive history that's been passed down to us and that is our heritage as the people of God. We see throughout this narrative that God has exhaustively revealed himself. Yes, as a transcendent God. Yes, as the omnipotent God. Yes, as the God who is beyond time and space and who is omniscient and just and gracious and merciful, yet as the God who is close and imminent. I'd say it this way, the great paradoxical confession of the Christian church and the Christian tradition is that God is transcendent yet imminent, existing outside of our existence, yet remaining close and available to us. And it's this paradox that we live in as the body. It's this paradox we live in as the people of God because we can at one point attest to the reality that God is completely and wholly, in a certain sense, outside of our existence. Uh, as C.S. Lewis says that God is original, we are derivative. In other words, we draw our existence from the Father of heavenly lights in whom there's no shadow of turning. That God is not dependent upon us, we are dependent wholly and exclusively on him, transcendent operating outside of our existence. And yet, the Christian tradition in the same breath can say, yet he is close. 
and he is available, and he is imminent and intimate and acquainted with the specificity of our lives, that he, beyond time and space, this great God, has made himself in his greatness close and available to us. Are you with me, young adults? And this is really the scandal of the gospel, isn't it? Because in this postmodern world in which we live, transcendence and eminence uh, are very, very difficult to justify and square together. You're telling me, wait, that a God has made himself, yes, this transcendent God has made himself available to you? That, that, That God being beyond time and space, can actually converse. He's made it so that you can talk to him, and he's made it so that you can live with him for eternity. Really? And let me take it a step further. You're telling me that God made himself in the image of us? That God had the audacity to make himself man, to take on flesh, to take on bone? Why? It's a scandal, isn't it? To think of God as such. It's, it, in the world in which we live, it's a scandal to think that a transcendent God that's beyond time and space is actually also imminent and close and available to us. Um, yet, this gospel of Jesus Christ that we have inherited, this Christian heritage that we live and we're uh, living on the shoulders of, this heritage testifies One breath, God is transcendent. And in the very next, he is, however, imminent and close and available and relational. And this God-given capacity to have relationship, that is the imago Dei, what we talked about last week, how we were created for relationship, we were created for ruling, and how when we live and move and have our being with God, we are fully satisfied with him. He is imminent. And we can only be satisfied if he makes himself available to us, which indeed he has. One of the greatest theologians in uh, church history who really has left a defined mark on Christian theology, maybe more than anybody has uh, in the the entire history of the church, is the great Saint Augustine. And uh, if you really want to feel like an unintelligent simpleton, read some Saint Augustine, okay? The dude is otherworldly in his theology. And he, around uh, the turn of the 5th century, the, the 400s, he writes his own autobiography, which we uh, can read and we can study his life. And uh, he talks about his uh, his, his life of immorality and his life of idolatry and how he was completely removed from God and didn't really care about him. And he, he covers his praying mother who, who eventually spends decades and decades praying for his salvation only to die and then for him to be converted. And he goes on these, uh, these kind of philosophical and theological, even existential meanderings and uh, where he's just thinking on, his walk with God. He's thinking on his journey. He's thinking on the nature of God. And uh, he, at one point uh, in his autobiography, Confessions, uh, before Usher did it, St. Augustine did it, Confessions. Yeah, that's right. Nod to early 2000s. Uh, in his great confessions that we're talking about, he engages in this moment where he's talking about the nature of God, thinking on existentially processing this nature of the God that he's come to know and love. And he asks this very crucial question as he's processing out loud. And he, he asks it in this way. 
directing it to God. Where then were you then, and how far from me? In other words, in my life, looking back, God, where, where were you? Not in a jaded way, not in a salty way. Where were you? Where were you in this and this? But instead, God, where were you in my life? When I look back, where can you be found? Where can the traces of your hands and the remnants and the depths of relationship be found in my story? And he answers it this way. We can put that next one up. Where then were you and how far from me? You were more inward to me than my innermost and higher than my highest. Where were you, God, in my story? When I look back at my life, wow, God, you were more inward to me than my innermost imminence and yet higher than my highest transcendence. When I look back at my story, St. Augustine's processing, when I look back, I see this God who, yes, is higher than my highest, who has made himself uh, available to us, yes, but who, by his very nature, is removed from our existence, has made himself available to us in his eminent grace and goodness. You are inner than my innermost, that every breath I take, you are closer You're closer than the very air I breathe. You're closer than my skin and my bones. You are closer to me, even to my very soul. You are more inward to me than my innermost. Get out of here. God is close. God is near. God has made himself available to us. Uh, And he is inherently knowable. And thus, as the people of God, we are wooed into this relationship where we come to know the transcendent yet imminent God. The journey of faith and the walk of the Christian tradition and the Christian faith is a journey marked by pressing into and walking behind Jesus Christ while we come to know him in a deep and intimate way, a knowledge that that permeates and goes beyond head knowledge and mental ascent, but down to the very depths of our souls. In St. Augustine fashion, you are more inner to me than my innermost and higher than my highest. And so I think the question that we must ask ourselves practically, okay, Transcendent yet imminent, great. God is near to us, great. When we look at our lives practically then, I think there's one big question that we must wrestle with and we must answer if we are to walk and keep in step with the Lord and actively live with him. And it's this, what keeps us from living actively in and aware of the sweet, ever imminent presence of God? If God is in fact imminent and he has made himself available to us and through the Holy Spirit dwelling with us now, how are we then to live actively in and aware of and partner with and walk alongside with this God who is ever imminent to us? And uh, I think the big thing that keeps us from having a warm heart, a tender heart, Uh, keeps us from actively keeping in step with him and knowing him and loving him and being aware of his presence in our lives is really simple, actually. I'd say it's clutter. Clutter. And And I'm not siding with the minimalism movement right now, necessarily. I'm not saying that don't have stuff because then you can't know God, because there's obviously not a mutually exclusive nature to this thing. But when I say clutter, what I mean is there can be a clutter of preoccupation. 
There can be a clutter of distraction. There can be a clutter of an overly saturated schedule. There can be clutter in our situations, whether self-induced or whether just by nature of our young adulthood. There's clutter of situation, and therefore there can be this clutter of soul. This clutter where life just sneaks up on us and saturates us a little too much to where we just lose sight of the Lord who is imminent and present with us and available to us on this journey of faith. Clutter. Um, And so I think sometimes, yes, there is such a thing as being too busy. And yes, there is such a thing as having an overly saturated schedule. And I think often in our young adulthood, when we're living life and taking it by the reins and really going for it and trying to uh, find the job that we so desire and that, that, that passion in our soul that we want satisfied by occupation, when we're just seeking all that life has to offer, the open pasture that is young adulthood, we can get so cluttered, can't we? We can get cluttered, yes, with things, okay, but we're not just talking about things. Clutter that just clouds our vision a little bit. Clutter that distracts, clutter that preoccupies, when really the thing we were made for was the Lord. Again, in him, we live and we move and we have our being. We were created for relationship. Yes, we were created to rule. And yes, we were created to get our hands on the work. And yes, we were created to live life and be productive and build things and create things and innovate things. Yet, we were also created for relationship. And if these things create dissonance with one another, then I think it's high time for us to go back to the drawing board of our life of faith and our relationship with the Lord and see what needs to be trimmed here. What over-cluttered, over-saturated things of my life need to be pruned? What things do I need to give attention to to really just slow down so the fog can lift from our eyes? Um, I think so often we can get so head in the sand in our lives that God really becomes an afterthought. Where, yeah, God is one of many things in my life. It's, it's school and it's work and it's this relational crisis that I'm walking through and it's this uh, separation or divorce that my parents are walking through and I'm inevitably drawn into the thick and the aftermath of all of it. Oh yeah, and then it's God somewhere over here. Instead of God being the center, the gravitational pull of our lives, where everything in our lives just revolves and centers and orbits around this life and grace and this person of Jesus Christ, this relationship that we were created for, we can treat God as an afterthought. Instead of viewing him in, uh, you know, in the way I like to put it, he, Christ is kind of this epicenter of life. He is this, uh, this, this center of gravity, this, this person who the entirety of our lives ought to live and move and have their being around. Christ is this person, this relationship with this God who has made himself imminent is the soul center bullseye heartbeat of our lives. And so when we realign ourselves with this and when we come back into this awareness that God is in fact imminent and he is available and he is the one who is acquainted with our circumstances, therefore we can go to him as our great high priest, then our lives align in the way they were created to be. Not as, oh yeah, God 
and school, God and work, God and bop, 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 bop. But instead, God, Christ, Holy Spirit, Father, Son, Holy Spirit as center, as the epicenter of life, in whom all life is derived from, in whom all satisfaction comes from, in whom all our grace and life and any good thing in our lives comes from. Christ is the center. And so in uncluttering our lives, in removing some of the distractions and in going back to the drawing board and looking at our lives and pruning and looking at things that we can maybe trim or give attention to that maybe have cluttered our souls and allowed us to lose awareness of the King and the Lord that is on the journey with us and who is available to us. Um, I think it's crucial to create space in our lives. I think this is how we unclutter. We just create some margin built into our days where we just breathe and we remember and we stop and we remember God. Yes, it's transcendent. Yes. Okay, great. Uh, Beyond our existence and existing apart from us and, and has the power to override and work in our circumstances. Got it. Okay, great. But yes, the God who is close and the God who is available to us. I think we need to build in times in our lives where we just gaze at the sacred. Have you ever had times like that? Where in your life, it's like time just stops and you you stop and you stare at the sacred, good, loving, relational presence of God. And in that, we find fulfillment and satisfaction of our souls. So how do we do this? I um, I think it's as easy as this. We're busy, we're preoccupied, we're cluttered, we're anxious about getting this job, we're doing all this. It can just be this. What we do every Sunday. Breathing. Lord, I have got this relationship that's down the tubes. I have got a freaking D in this class, and I've taken this class three times. I can't stand my parents right now. I'm sick of eating ramen noodles. Ah, Lord, come in in that time and just, God, you're here. You're available. You are near to me. It's easy. Building in times to stop and stare at the sacred and simply remembering God. One of the great theologians of the church has said that the a little remembrance of God is acceptable to him. That as we stop and we remember these little acts of inward worship, just, I remember you, God. You're at your computer, at your desk, blah, 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 blah. numbers. Hope that's not you, but that's all right. And then you stop and you think, oh, God, you're here. You're with me. The little remembrances throughout the day, the little conversations we can interweave in our lives, the little ways that we return back to the Father's house, these are the areas of invitation that the Lord says, come live and dwell with me. Come engage in my eminence. Come and soak in this relationship that I've created, that I've opened and made available to you. These pauses, these remembrances, these sacred spaces. And I think when we first recognize God, just theologically, mentally ascend to, okay, great, he's imminent. And then we recognize that there's clutter in our lives and there's things that really need to be realigned or rethought through or cut altogether. And then we build in these sacred moments in our days where we just breathe 
and we take time and we pause and we remember, these are the moments where the warmth and the tenderness of childlike faith are recultivated, where we come back to relationship with the God whom we were made for and where we live life with the imminent God. And so before we discuss, I just want us to to think through that for a second and pause and bring this to the Lord. Father, would you search us and know us? God, would you search the areas of our lives that are cluttered? Would you search the areas of our lives that are distracted? Would you search us and see what part of our lives is disassociated from your, uh, in an awareness of your presence? Lord, if there's anything in our lives that's just clouded our vision, clouded our ability to lean in and press into you, would you open our eyes this morning as the God who is more inner than our innermost, as the God who is higher than our highest, as the God who is available to us. Let us say yes to the invitation of life. Let us say yes to the invitation of not living life without you. Where every day, Every hour, every moment, if possible, we just return to you. The remembrances, uh, the, the, the small conversations, the small I love yous, the small words of adoration. Would you draw us into those places where eventually the entirety of our lives can be lived with you and can be lived for you and can be lived in your very presence? Would you do it in us, O oh God? And I pray, Lord, as we discuss, as we talk, As we unpack these things together and view how they relate to our circumstances in particular, would you guide us? Would you help us to open up? Would you help us to see you and what things we can do to better walk with you and love you and have relationship with you? We pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen. Don't live life without him. And so as we discuss these three questions, um, you know, use these as a guide. Feel free, get off the grid a little bit. You don't have to follow these to the T, but talk about what clutter looks like. Talk about what imminence means to you. Unpack this with your tables, and we'll pick this up here in a little bit. Much love and bless you as you discuss. All right, young adults. Hope those discussions yielded some uh, rich things to think on and apply to our lives. Um, As discussions are winding down, let's stand and we'll wrap up and we'll pray a prayer of benediction and grace. My boy Rush is just hanging out up here. Don't, nothing to see. Just an adorably cute little toddler. Anyway, let's pray. Father, we are yours this morning. Uh, And we ask that this week, as we go back into our lives, as we enter into relationships, as we enter into work, as maybe even some of us enter into school and traveling and whatever this summer has to offer, uh, we pray that this would be a week and a summer that is marked by communion with your Holy Spirit. God, open our eyes to see you on the journey with us. Remind us, Holy Spirit. You said, Jesus, that the Holy Spirit would guide us into all truth and would be the spirit of remembrance. So Holy Spirit, we ask, would you remind us this week of your presence with us? Would you remind us of the communion and the relationship that's on the table for us when we're distracted, when our head's in the sand and preoccupation has cluttered our souls? We pray that you, Holy Spirit, would remind us that you are with us 
and there is life to be had and wonder to be had and awe to be partaken of with you and a relationship with you. So young adults, I pray that the Lord would bless you and keep you and be gracious to you. I pray that he would lift his shining countenance upon you and give you peace and give you rest and give you joy in anything and everything you give attention to this week. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And everybody said, Amen.